Welcome to Cork Credit Union's uh, podcast. I'm Gary Hannon from Douglas Credit Union. I'm Kieran Regan from the Lock Credit Union. Putting unity back into community. So thanks, Paul, for your time. And we'd delighted to welcome you on to the Cork Credit Union's podcast. Um, last one of the year. Um, people probably won't hear it till January, but it's the last one of 2021. And a year it's been. And we appreciate your time. Because uh, I know, obviously, you are you're a very busy man, a lot going on, and obviously this time of the year in particular, uh, people looking ahead to 2022 and trying to plan ahead. Um, I suppose before we get started, if you just say a brief background of you and about Ask Paul and how it all began. Well, okay, first of all, thanks for having me on. Much appreciated. Uh, I was looking forward to this chat, so um, yeah, thank you. Uh, so yeah, as you mentioned, my name is Paul Merriman. I'm CEO of Pax Financial, uh, based in Dublin and um, clients nationwide. Been in the financial services business almost 20 years, um, and a few years ago we founded, um, a, I suppose, an information site, website for us, and went to social media called Ask Paul, um, and it's where we try our best to bring jargon-free information on all types of finances, uh, personal finance to clients. Um, it, it's gone quite successfully. The practice now has over 5,000 clients nationwide, like I said, and we manage over 140 million of assets uh, for individual clients and companies. So, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's been going quite well, thank God. Um, so, yeah, that's that, that that's that's a little bit about me as opposed to start us off. That's good. And, and just one thing you said there, and I think it's, I suppose it, it, it's important, I think people do kind of puts people off um, when it comes to looking at their finances and everything is, is I suppose, the terminology around it. And when you say yeah. jargon free, how important is that for your clients? Jargon free is very important because I think a lot of people, you know, we have a thing called advice equality here at Ask Paul and Pax where we want everyone to be able to access information around personal finance and not feel put off going into a bank or a stockbroker and feel that it might not be for them you know one day in our boardroom we could have uh, somebody a single parent maybe setting up an education fund for their kids and um, recycling the children's allowance for argument's sake and then the very next hour we could have somebody in with two or three million on a company balance sheet looking for estate planning and pension planning and investment planning advice and um, you know it's it, it, we want to deal with everybody and anybody we don't set the criteria that you have to have over 100 grand in income or over 300 grand in assets or anything to deal with us and, and we really like that um, but I think the only way that can be done is by bringing jargon-free advice to people in layman terms. I think the banks have got it wrong. I think the financial services issues like the, the life insurance companies have got it wrong. Um, I suppose very much like the credit, the credit union would have it right, in my opinion. You know, uh, if you ask anybody, everybody loves dealing with the credit union, loves dealing with the people in the credit union. When you walk into any credit union up and down the country, you go in and you have someone behind the counter that's extremely friendly probably known to you probably known for you or your family for years maybe as well uh, and the credit union held on to that where banks haven't banks have turned their business and turned their their staff over and they don't want people getting closer to their to their customers for some unknown reason uh i mean before the financial crisis i knew my bank manager had his mobile number i mean he did something give him a ring that doesn't happen these days uh for people you know uh so look i, I think we've made personal finance this taboo subject i think we've made it sound more complicated than it is and I think that's just down to, to people maybe making themselves feel more important than they are. A financial planner just is educated in the point of view of personal finance, taxes, various different skill sets to help the average punter on their way. Uh, it, it, it's not, you know, it's not rocket science. So just try to make it easy for people and hopefully they engage. And that's what we've noticed here at Ask Paul. I suppose that's why people do come back then as if they do. Yeah. It's not overcomplicated for them. I suppose the last two years have been, you know, people haven't, I suppose a lot of people have been working from home um, and everything else and they, they haven't had the ability, I suppose, to spend their money that they've had and they've built yeah. up savings have been 
built up and massively. It's been record record amounts. Millions, and, yeah. I mean, people are. I suppose people are. They've done a couple of things in terms of they've got home improvements and everything else. They're just beginning to take out loans for those kind of things. They're spending the money, but again, when it comes to like, what are people's best options in terms of if you save, we just say for argument's sake, ten grand over the last two years, and you're not too sure whether to go and invest it in your kitchen, in your house, or <laughs> in, in, in investment in terms of shares or something like that. What, what what should people do first before even making that decision? Well, look, I get, I get, that's a very good example. Ten thousand. A lot of more people these days have ten thousand than a couple of years ago, mainly because of the pandemic closures to the economy and uh, people not being able to spend their money in a normal way. Um, and it's great. What I would say to everybody, everyone's financial plan should really be the same. Now, when you execute pieces of the financial plan, will depend on your overall circumstances. Everyone needs what's called an emergency fund. An emergency fund should be a minimum of €1,000, and that needs to be housed in the credit union, in my opinion. Uh, if you're self-employed and you have, you know, um, you know, if you stop working due to sickness or accident or something goes wrong, uh, you know, you probably want to have maybe up to €10,000 in the credit union rather than one because, you know, you, you, you generate your own income. Um, so that's, that's a rough guide. Everyone should also have what's called an income protection policy to make sure they are at long-term sick or disability, uh, that your income or a certain percent of your income will continue up to retirement age. Um, after that, then it really depends on what you want and what stage of life you're in. I mean, if you're talking to me and the client is 55 years of age, they might want to put that 10 grand into a pension fund if they have their emergency fund already and get their tax relief on it and up their pension. Uh, if they're young and they're starting off a family, uh, you know, they might want to get married in the next couple of years. They might want that 10,000 for a wedding rather than having to borrow for the money, or they might want to get a deposit for a house and use it that way. Um, but overall, uh, once you have your short-term expenses, your emergency fund, the next two or three sorters, whether it's weddings, doing the house up or whatever it is, uh, you need to be looking at investing. So I'd always say to someone, if you have 10,000 euro, and let's say you've got there by saving 500 euro a month, you should probably keep your 10,000 euro for an emergency fund and short-term expenses over the next few years to stop you borrowing short-term. Um, and then that 500 euro you are saving, maybe put that into an investment account and get that working for you on a monthly basis. Um, so it's never about rushing into investment and getting all your 10,000 invested. It's about seeing where you are in life financially and what you have coming towards you. I think people forget that. A lot of people are coming out of COVID um, and now we're practically in another lockdown now or soon to be probably more lockdown than we are. Um, but when you're coming out of lockdowns, you need to keep an eye on the next two or three years. If you've created a habit, it's really important to try and keep some of that habit. So if you've been saving 500 quid a month, and when lockdown happens, you might only be able to save 250 a month because you're going out for more beers, more meals, more cinemas, etc. Uh, so just try and hold on to one piece of that saving habit that you've created for yourself or been forced to create for yourself over the last two years. Um, and if you can invest that, you know, over a three to five year period or forever more, uh, you're going to be on the right track financially and everything will be OK. Yeah, is there, is there, a, I could be wrong here, is there kind of a perception now with the, with, with the emergence now of, of Bitcoin? And cryptocurrencies over the last few years that uh, when it comes to investing that you're going to make a quick buck as opposed to over the medium to long term. Yeah. Oh, look an investment fund we have a, a holding in bitcoin i'll get into that in a second but from an investment point of view a small amount invested every single month you know from small seeds grow big trees uh, you know so very very slight you know maybe adjustment to people Becoming like if you invest two, I think it's two hundred fifty euro per month over over a thirty year period, and you're getting a nine percent return. You'll probably have over half a million in your fund. Okay, so two hundred fifty quid a month for thirty years. Now, if you do five hundred quid a month, you're going to have that half a million in fifteen years, maybe you're a little bit closer. Or if you do five hundred quid a month, you'd have a million in thirty years. Does that make sense? So. 
I'd always encourage someone to try and get from that minimum of 100 euro probably invest on a monthly basis up to around that 300, 400, 5 euro is amazing. And uh, the more you can save and the longer time you have, the more likely you have of making it to that kind of big figure like a million. But the other thing people forget about is that, you know, your earning is what you earn on a monthly basis, a yearly basis. If you're in a salary and you're earning maybe 40,000 a year, 30,000, or whatever that figure is, and you're 30 years of age, you're going to earn that figure for the next 30 odd years. So you're actually going to generate well over a million euro for yourself. It's just how you spend it and how you actually proportion it to what you're spending. If you're earning 30 grand a year, you know, you're getting two odd grand a month into your bank account and you're blowing every penny of it, you're not going to have anything left. Uh, if you can just siphon off four or five percent of that a year or 10 percent a year, whatever it is, um, you, you know, it'll take four or five years to get your funds up to a considerable size. But from there, it just snowballs. You know, it's like standing on top of a hill with a small snowball. If you get it right for the first couple of meters, it kind of looks after itself thereafter rolling down the hill. That's the exact same when it comes to your money. So it's just about creating a good habit. Uh, obviously, the younger you do this, the quicker you get to that maybe that million or half million, whatever that figure is you want to get to. Um, there's no such thing as get rich quick. Now, there was with Bitcoin, if you had been in there back in 2017 or 18 or whatever, but, you know, not many people were. Um, so, they're, they're like, even Bitcoin, I've made an investment in the Bitcoins less than 1% of my overall wealth. Going to leave it there for 10 years, see what happens, can afford to lose it, can afford to be there. I think cryptocurrency would be a big thing in the future. I think it's going to stay for the long term. Uh, you see certain governments getting involved in now as well. El Salvador is completely into Bitcoin now, um, and they're, they're creating a mine out there from volcanoes. And just some really cool things going on with cryptocurrency. But a very, very small proportion, but because it's volatile, just because it's volatile, it moves up and down in value very quickly. Same as stocks and shares, uh, you know, the least volatile asset is cash in the credit union. But again, you can only have certain amounts now because of negative interest rates. So that in itself will make cash volatile as well, a small amount. So it's about having a well-diversified portfolio. You know, a lot of fund managers out there do it for you. We do it for clients every day of the week. Um, and yeah, it's just about, about being smart and consistently making good decisions with your money will make you financially secure. To you, Gary, that might be 100 grand. To me, that could be 10 million. To somebody else, it could be 100 million. It uh, depends on what you want out of life. Uh, but like I said, small, consistent habits is the main thing here. Perfect. Uh, moving on to something which I think is, I don't know, do you have too much paperwork involved in it or is it overcomplicated again, is mortgages. Oh, <laughs> it's, and I, I haven't gone through the process myself, I, which was apparently supposed to be, uh, uh, supposed to be quick. It certainly wasn't, but... Uh, no, it's not quick. They're not quick. People going out getting a mortgage now, obviously, look, having your paperwork and everything else and all your banks, everything up to date. But what should people, what's the first thing even before they even get to that state for even, for even applying for a mortgage? What should, they be, what, should, what should they be looking at? I think before before applying, the mar- you have to look at the market. Uh, so I get this all the time on our Instagram page. What do I think of the property market? Is it too expensive? Yada, yada, yada. It's not too expensive. Um, and I, I don't think it's going to crash anytime soon. I think before you buy, you need to realize that property prices are only going to continue to go up in this country, I think, in major cities over the next five to 10 years, purely because of supply and demand. There's just not enough supply to meet the demand, and there's not going to be that. They're, I mean, they're trying to build 25,000 a year, and they haven't even got close to that figure yet. Um, I think they need 50,000 houses a year, so I think they're already half of what they should need. Uh, so I just think there's going to be massive supply and demand issue in this country. Um, so I think if I was a young couple or a young person, single person thinking of buying, I'd be trying to buy as soon as I could, to be honest with you. That's not me trying to create 
a property bubble or something, me trying to create a, a boom. That's me just looking at the infrastructure that's around and looking at policies from governments um, and being able to spot that this isn't going to change soon and that there's a lack of supply and there's a great demand, you're always going to have inflation in those prices. It doesn't make a difference whether it's tulips, whether it's you know cigarettes, sweets or houses. It's the exact same thing. Um, so therefore, I think I'd be trying to get the property ladder sooner rather than later. Main thing that people usually trip on when they go for a mortgage application with us is what's called the affordability. You know, there's a lot of affordability calculators out there. You can go on and say, look, I want a 300 grand mortgage over 30 years or 25 years, and it's going to be, say, 1,400 euro a month. Very important that you consistently show the bank that you can afford 1,400 euro per month. Actually, 1,500 euro per month because they stress test it by a percent or so. If you want to be kind of maybe saving 1,500 quid a month or... If you're paying rent of 1,800 euro per month, you've proved to the bank that when you stop the rent, you can pay the mortgage. So it can be savings of 15 or 1,600 quid a month, or it can be rent of 15 or 1,600 quid a month, or it can be a mixture of both. So if you're renting for 1,000 euro a month, you want to be saving an extra five or 600 quid on top of that to prove to the bank that when you get the mortgage, you can pay it. That's really it. Now, when it comes to mortgage applications, you're going to need the pay slips, the salary certs, six months bank statements, six months loan statements. What I would say to everybody here is if you're thinking of going for a mortgage and you get the list from the financial broker, whether it's me or whether it's somebody else you're using, sit down with that list and just give yourself a couple of hours and a couple of weeks. Don't stress because you're not going to have everything when you're sitting at your laptop. So you might need a loan statement from the credit union for argument's sake, and you mightn't be able to get through to the credit union or you might know you to use your online facility. So you might have to walk to the credit union or walk into the credit union next week when you're off work and get that statement. That's okay. Make a note of it and move to the next agenda on the list, the next item. Uh, you might have to have, might not keep your payslips. You might have to ring HR or email HR looking for your three payslips. They're all things that could be managed quite easily, but I think people sit down and get overwhelmed by the amount of administration behind an application because they're probably not used to administration work. <laughs> uh, you know, if you're an accountant and someone hands you a mortgage application, you're in your element, you know, because you're used to gathering a source of information, putting it together and packaging them. If you're a carpenter on site all day and someone hands you a big list of stuff to get in an hour after being on site all day, you'll lose your rag. You know, you lose the will to live. So break it up into smaller pieces, split it up if you're a couple, you get these six things, I'll get these six things. He was down with a glass of wine one night and fill it in. It's not a big deal. Uh, so, like I said, just taking your time and not getting anxious about it or not getting too stressed. But the worst thing you can do is go look for a house without having a mortgage approval. Because what's going to happen is you're going to fall in love with the house. You're going to put a deposit down. And now you're up against it with the bank and the application. And now you're getting frustrated because how long the application's taken even though it's that, that's the application process and you've put yourself under pressure by bidding on a house or going to see a house before you had your mortgage application. And you're just putting yourself through an absolute roller coaster ride. So if you're a couple, it's January, point by the time you're listening to this and you're thinking of buying this year, reach out to us or somebody like us, get a mortgage application in now. So by the time it comes to maybe, you know, March or April, you've got an approval of principle that lasts you six months. Now, if you go to get a house, you have your approval, you know what you can afford, and you've just taken all that hassle, pressure, emotion away. You have your approval and house comes second. But unfortunately, Gary, I'd say 80% of people that come to us have a house in mind or they've gone to view it or their friend's mother selling the house or their sister selling the house. And they're already emotionally involved in the process. And it just puts pressure on everybody. Uh, and it never works out because mortgage applications and pressure just don't go together. Yeah, no, no, it's a, and it, it is an emotional roller coaster as well. And you're going, going through the whole process and trying to get it right, and you'll hit bumps along the road, but it is worth it in the end. 
but it's just oh, it's 100% worth it yeah, yeah. it's 100% worth it but it's just like I said give yourself loads of time try and get the application as early as possible see what you're approved for then go house hunting and you're, don't forget your AIPs can be extended by six months as well with only a small bit of paperwork as well so yeah. if you're thinking of buying the next year get in ASAP get your approval so if something comes up or something moves you can go quickly yeah perfect um, pensions now it's I, I, I have my pension here and everything else and it's fine, works away, and it kind of works, I suppose, does, does the work for you, there's not much you need to do once once you're signed up for it. But, obviously, is, is it a case of the younger you are, the earlier you sign up, the better? Um, yes and no, and, and some advisors hate me for saying this. So, obviously, if you go to a pension at 18 years of age, and you're going to retire at 68 years of age, you've got 50 years to retire with age, okay? You're going to be way better off than the guy who starts at 38, because yeah? you've got 20 years ahead of him, that's obvious. However, between 18 and 38 years of age, a lot of life is going to hit you. So you're probably going to get married, have kids. You're probably going to go to college. You're probably going to have a couple of jobs. You're going to leave jobs. You're going to maybe go traveling. So a lot of life. So what I always say to people is, if you're lucky enough to be in a company pension plan, you're laughing. You pay in, the employer pays in, like what you are, guy. That's absolutely brilliant. If you're not, don't worry about it. You know, you need to be probably talking about pensions, really, by the time we get to 35 years of age when the squeeze on. Again, if you can afford it to be far out, great. But if not, you still have 33 years to plan at 35 years of age. It's still a long time. Um, and especially when you look at the life cycle, where people, like our clients, really deal with every, like people from 80 and right the way up to all this client is 90 odd years of age. So if you're coming into me uh, for a financial plan and you're 35, 40 years of age, say 40, 45 years of age, life has happened already. You might have a mortgage, you might have a couple of kids, they might be in school, you've gone through the creches and the mortgages and the rent and all that nonsense and that pressure for people. Uh, and then when you're in your 40s, I find clients have one eye on their pension then. You know, they're li- thinking, right, I'm over 40, I can nearly see 60. My parents maybe have passed away or they're in really old age, they've been off work 10 years, they might be struggling cash flow-wise. And you start seeing life around you in a different way when you're in your 40s. But again, if someone's in their 30s, and they have two kids and they have crash fees and mortgages and they're trying to get away in a couple of holidays, they need to look after 35-year-old now, not 68-year-old now, you know, and that might be okay. So sometimes, like we see clients sometimes in the public service sector, like teachers, doctors, or nurses, teachers, nurses in particular, and they might be paying additional voluntary contributions, ABCs. I mean, always tell them to stop them if they're struggling. So there's no point in having money in an ABC if you haven't got a house deposit yet. Yeah. Now, why would you put money aside for 68-year-old you when you are still living at home with your parents? That's absolutely madness. So everything about finance is supposed to be in a balance and supposed to be whatever you are in your life. But I can tell you now, wherever you are in your life is okay. I mean, no one's going to beat you up for not having a pension at 42 years of age. We can show you what you need to do to get there. Uh, and you can probably do loads more fun than at 56 or 57 when the kids are growing up and the mortgage is nearly finished. So, like I said, I wouldn't be panicking too much about pensions. Because pension only makes up a very small part of that overall financial plan. The younger you are, the less important it is. The older you are, the more important it is. Um, so, but like I said, back to your main point, obviously if you get in at 20 and you start putting 100 quid a month in at 20 or 22, you're laughing because you've got maybe 10 or 15 years, you've got a good lump sum behind you by the time you even get to 30. But that's an ideal world and a lot of people don't are not in that situation. And like I said, Sorry. Sorry. Can you, so if you... If you're not happy with, we'll say, if you're the place you work for, or we'll say if you're, you're self-employed, yeah, uh, how, is it much of a difference setting up one as opposed? It's very easy. It's just like accounts, like current accounts. By the way, for people listening, a pension is just the current account that you can't access and you get yes. loads of tax relief. 
So you put 100 quid into your current account, or your pension account, and you get 40 euro back off the revenue if you're on the higher rate of income tax. So it only costs you 60. That's a 40% return. And then on the low rate of income tax, you're going to get 20% back, you know, which is a 20% return on your money straight away. So your 100 euro is now really only 60 euro or 80 euro. So it's the easiest free money in the world. Do you remember the SSIA is, Gary? Yeah. It's an SSIA on steroids. Just massive tax rate. It just, you can't touch it till you're 60. But it's just an account that just sits there that you can't access. You're not allowed access. That's all it is. Um, and Gross has this amazing tax-free growth and loads of tax relief on the way in. It's the single easiest way to become wealthy in Ireland is a pension. Well, not many people realise that. The quickest way to gain money is a pension plan or gain wealth is a pension plan. Now, some pensions, if you're in a company pension, you can access them from 50 years of age. The personal pensions or PRSAs are 60. Uh, you mentioned self-employed. If you're self-employed, you're only paying your taxes on the 31st of October every year for the preceding year. So if, if we're listening to this in January 2022 and you're self-employed, you'll be doing a return this October for 2021's income. And let's say you have a bill of 10 grand to pay the revenue. Well, you can offer it some of that by paying it into a pension plan. So, you know, it makes more sense. It reduces your tax bill come come, come October. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, anybody that doesn't know what a pension is or is, is finding it difficult to get one set up, just give us a shout. I mean, they're very, very easy to set up. Um, it's just an account. That's all it is. Nothing too complicated. Just a bank account that you can't touch their 60. Yeah, and that kind of brings me on to the next point we're talking about there. The self-employed person there, and they mightn't have known that now come January when it, in relation to their pension. Yeah. How important, because I, I see it, and uh, I mentioned to you before about going into the school and we were working with four years just about um, our own current account here and they were creating TikToks. And the first question I asked them was, what is a current account? Not one person in the class could tell me what a current account was. Yeah. No, fair enough, it probably doesn't really affect them, but how important is the ed- ed- financial education? Oh, it's so important. It's, it's so important. And we're lacking well behind the States and the UK here in Ireland. And my, my fear is a lot of kids uh, nowadays are listening to American content. So they're listening to people talk about the S&P 500. They're listening to people talk about cryptocurrency. They're in this world of, you know, Instagram where everything looks great. It looks easy to make money. and uh, looks easy to set up your own business. It looks easy to become rich, which is not. It's very difficult to become rich, to be fair. Um, I want to mean by rich, obviously, it could be five hundred grand. I mean, whatever you think yourself, but it is very hard. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of hard work and sacrifice to become rich in any country. There's no, there's no quick wins. Trust me. And um, so, you know, financial literacy is so important that you understand number one what earned income is. So going to work and exchange your time for money, like you would do, Gary. You know, I, I own my own business, but in fairness, I still have gone to work every day. I work for myself, but I still have to go in and do a hard day's work and. You know, I seen a TikTok actually earlier on. So someone saying that you know, um, I, I I was sick working for somebody else, sick and tired of working for myself. So I went out on my own. I was sick of working. I was sick of working a nine to five job. So I set up my own company, and now I'm working twenty four hours a day. <laughs> so so uh, the the grass is always greener. But yeah, I think financial literacy is very important. So people understand the sacrifices, what entrepreneurship is, how tax works, how building wealth works. Simple things, what a current account is, pensions, how to build your wealth, what a good financial plan looks like, how to stay away from short-term borrowing, uh, the implication of something goes wrong with a repayment on your credit rating, you know, if you're going to get a mortgage or another loan or a car uh, or setting up your own business. There's just so much things out there that people genuinely don't know. That's why we set up Ask Paul. And Ask Paul has a free financial academy with thousands of hours of content and literally everything you need on personal finance. Um, so I'd encourage people for themselves to check it out. If you have young teenagers, get them to check it out. Um, one of the best books actually just on this as well for people that might be listening uh, would be a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad. And then he has, Robert Kiyosaki's name, he has actually got a Rich Dad Poor Dad for teens, uh, which is really good. 
Um, so there's two book recommendations for adults and teens there. So Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad for teens, and then the normal Rich Dad, Poor Dad book for adults. I think it's about value of money and how you make money and, you know, uh, how important it can be. Uh, but yeah, I think financial literacy is so important. People need to know the basic leaving school. You know, we, we I have people coming in to me and, you know, they've got a lot of money and a lot of disposable income, but they just don't have a plan. They don't know how to handle that level of money because they're never shown. That's not their fault. And just obviously you use social media in a, in a positive way, your Instagram lives and everything else. And yeah. you have all the content you have there ready to upload. That's great when you're doing it, you're qualified, you know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. But when you've got so-called influencers going yeah. out there and even just, you know, again, to be even promoting cryptocurrency, did that's, is that not, do you not see that as dangerous? Very dangerous, and as well, if you look at the likes of the YouTube channels as well on cryptocurrency, most of those guys are paid to promote. We never take paid promotions. So, for argument's sake, if somebody we've had loads of people onto us looking for us to promote various things, so whether it's a property company, whether it's a credit card company, or a bank, or a different current account, uh, you know, we said no to them all, uh, because we're here to create unbiased content for people. Um, and we don't want to be paid by somebody because I'm not an influencer. I'm just a, I'm a certified financial planner. We know how to pay people's money, work harder for them and what they should be doing. Uh, but yeah, the influencers will be paid by somebody to promote their product. And that's the problem you find with these people, especially when it comes to cryptocurrencies or now what's called an NFT, a non-fungible token. There's so many NFT projects out there that are just going to fail. Like 99% of them are going to lose money. But you'll have people talking about different NFT products on their YouTube channel because they're going to be paid by the NFT promoter to promote the product for young people or anyone to buy. And that's a big issue in the industry, you know? Yeah, because I, I, even if you're just watching a music video or whatever, watching on YouTube and the ads come up, you know, and a lot of it is get rich quick. They drive me bananas. Bonkers. I just, think, yeah, I just, yeah. I just don't get it. But I'm, I'm thinking of... An 18-year-old or a 19-year-old or someone, you know, clicking, oh, my God, and they could be putting money aside or, or investing yeah. that money that they can't afford to invest, thinking that they're going to get rich quick. Yeah, yeah. I know it is. It's a thing where, and as well as that, like, look, all I say to people, if it sounds too good to be true, it definitely is. Not even yeah. probably, it definitely is. And even when you look at cryptocurrency, and I did invest in Bitcoin, I've taken a position for 10 years. Um, now that position I'm taking for 10 years is not because I think it's a scam anymore. I didn't, I didn't like Bitcoin originally. I just didn't get my head around it. But the more research I did, and then when hedge funds started using etc., it's kind of here to stay. I started to invest it. But I'm making it for 10 years because it's an extremely volatile asset. I think about 20k in. It went as low as 12k one day, and went as high as 29k one k day. So that's a massive volatility, you know. And if I took it out at 12 grand. That's not cryptocurrency losing money. That's me taking it out because I was impatient. I didn't wait for it to get to 29 grand and I didn't know what I was doing. And a large amount of people out there just don't know enough about investments to make their own decisions. And like people say to me, oh, I'm on the Giro or I'm on a Davy Select account and I'm buying stock. If you're not a stock, if you're not, you're not, you're not a trained fund advisor or you know a uh, an equity analyst. You can't be buying stocks. You're not going to know when to get out of those positions. Your taxes. It's just such a complicated world. In America, they have this uh, site called Robin Hood. It's a free online platform. You can buy, you can buy anything. But they have a warning. I think it's like 70 or 80% of people lose money on that platform. But that's nearly as bad as a betting shop or a bookies like a Paddy Power or someone. You know, so it's vitally important that, you know, you take your money. You work very hard for your money. You know, you go to work, you get paid, you pay your taxes, hit your current account. Don't be putting it into some scheme online hoping you're going to get rich quick. You want to be looking, want to be looking for qualified people. 
people that are authorized by the central bank to advise on these products. I'm a regulated entity. We ask Paul and Pax is regulated by the central bank of Ireland for conduct of investment business. So we're regulated. We get all the by the central bank. And the central bank are there to protect consumers and make sure they're getting the right advice. So if something's non-regulated or you're getting advice on somebody that isn't qualified or has the experience or is not willing to show you where they're putting their own money, then don't do it. Yeah. Simple. Yeah, no, yeah, no it, 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 it makes sense because it's, it's, look, it's, it's, it's a minefield. Um, and again, when you simplify it down, you actually talk to someone who knows what they're talking about yeah. as opposed to just some random guy on the internet telling you you're going to be a, you're like a bit of a Dell boy next year, this time next year. This time next year, Roddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I suppose I'd like to finish up on credit unions, your thoughts on credit unions in, in general, like with the reason we set up this Cork Marketing, Cork Credit Unions Marketing Group in Cork was so we could work together as a group because not all credit unions have the same... I suppose financially close around to promote themselves and get the message out there. So that's why we, we, we pull together, we pull our resources together, um, trying to, I suppose, get the message across that credit unions haven't changed, I suppose, their ethos hasn't changed, but we have we're, we are moving with the times in terms of the online banking, mortgages being brought in, current currency now being brought in. But where would you see I suppose, role for credit unions in the future, where can they improve on? I, I think the credit union should be getting a lot more backing from the government um, and away from banks. When you have a government that's up to the neck in AIB, PTSB and Bank of Ireland ownerships from bailing them out during the recession, it's hard to, to, to kind of ask them to promote credit unions. Credit unions have been the backbone of communities for, you know, decades upon decades, and they haven't changed that much. They've got way more heavily regulated, which is a good thing for the consumer, uh, a little bit more payable for the credit union, uh, but regulation is a good thing in fairness in this sector. Um, and I think, uh, you know, like in Germany, like the Germany have a network, a league, of, similar to credit unions, Berkhase, um, where they give out very low interest rate loans for the public, uh, for, for mortgages, they're backed by the government, um, and you know they're invited. The Irish bank, or the Irish government, were invited over to have a look at these operations numbers of years ago, and they refused the invitation to even go over and look. If I had my way, I would make sure that everyone probably had a credit union account uh, and was able to be taught be set. Like I was in the credit union, my mom brought me into the credit union, and put money in. My mum put credit union put for my nephews and nieces, and my nephews when they got to eighteen, they were buying their first cars or twenty. They had their insurance put aside, a few quid a week, whatever it was she was doing, but. Yeah, I think everybody should have access to a credit union account. Uh, I, I, I think there should be a mass movement away from banks into credit unions. I mean, banks have done us absolutely no favours at all. I mean, the bailout was caused, you know, um, that, that cost the taxpayer billions. Um, banks are still, the government still hasn't got the money back and that money that was paid in. Look at AIB, we paid in over 21 billion. We're going to get about 10 billion back from a recent share, share of sales. So we're still 10 billion in the hole, which is a substantial amount of money. Um, and I think credit unions should, yeah, 100% have way more people in them and be encouraged to have and use them for their current accounts. Because um, the more current account holders the credit union gets, the cheaper the mortgages get, because obviously they're slightly more expensive than the average bank these days. But I would hope that if everybody had an account and more people use them for mortgages, you'd get the rates down. Uh, so, yeah, like I can't promote the credit union enough. I think it's a phenomenal place, much nicer to deal with. Very quick decisions when it comes to any type of underwriting, for whether it be a loan or when you're putting your money in as a savings. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, it's a shame the negative interest rates are there that that kind of maximum tens or 50, 25 or thirty, depending on what credit union with, are there. But that won't be here forever. Um, and I would, I would much more, much prefer dealing with my credit union than dealing with bank. I think everybody that's listened to this is probably going to be a credit union member and they'll probably nod their head saying, "Yep, I agree. I definitely prefer to go into the credit union." looking for either a loan or looking for savings than I would go into a bank.
there. Hopefully, there's a few Ulster Bank customers listening now, and they'll, they'll move over in January when they when they be able yeah, to. Yeah, and again, Ulster Bank is a big one. Where would you go? Uh, you know what? What would they be doing? Same with KBC. When KBC flee, you know, a lot of those Ulster Bank clients are going over towards AIB. Um, I believe in Bank of Ireland, and then Permit TSB, I think for KBC. So, um, but yeah, look, it's. It's a shame. I think the, the the I think credit unions just probably don't get the recognition they deserve, and they, and they give a lot of work to do in relation to the promotion and moving away from the old style, just a place to get a loan. That it is day to day banking and everything that can be done. But that's t- time. Rome wasn't built in a day, huh, Gary? Yeah, that's true. But I just I just I just hope we don't miss out on the app. I, I don't think we fully um, took advantage. We'll say of of we'll say the bailout. Um, but when that when that all happened, I don't think credit unions really took advantage of it. So I think there's another opportunity there now that we need to... Yeah, I think it was hard for the credit union to move proactively, though, in the, after the bailout because we were in such a financial distress, the country, yeah. and I suppose a couple of credit unions would have been hammered as well by that with loans. And uh, So I think looking back and find so it's great. I, I think there's a great opportunity now. I think building and going forward and trying to build... I think there's definitely promoting, you know, clients to customers to promote customers uh, and trying to get loyalty schemes in place. Or, you know, if you do have a current account in your savings, that maybe even that lower mortgage interest rate should be coming into play for loyalty bonuses and that kind of stuff. Because I, th- I think that's the only way the credit union will make, will make tracks, you know? Yeah, perfect. Um, I suppose we'll, we'll finish up by, I suppose, thank you for your time, Paul. It's been uh, fascinating. It's always, every day is a school day, you're going to learn something every day. Um, yeah. I'm sure it's the same for yourself. Um, I, I suppose I should point out, and I pointed out the last day just to, to clarify that the it was Sinead, my colleague in, inside here, who was, was, was she's a big fan of, of yourselves, and she was like, you have to, you have to get on to Paul and try and get Paul on the podcast. So I have to make thank you, Sinead, if you're listening, uh, much appreciated. <laughs> well, Sinead, and she, she, she's not, she's out, she's out, and the counter at the moment, she, she actually will be working with yourselves in the, in the new year. She'll be booking an appointment with yourselves in the well, new year. Um, I'm sure she asked me directly on sort route. Perfect. And I suppose I suppose you have to point out the fact that you you gave up your offices this Christmas for Christmas FM, which is a great we thing. We did, did, yeah. So Christmas FM have uh, one part of one of our offices, uh, well, the whole office actually, in part one of the offices, the whole of it, for, uh, for the Christmas run-in. So we donate the space on the guys. I think they just released today over 170-odd grand raise for Bernardo's, which is amazing. So we're delighted to be involved in that project um, and, and getting the guys the space they needed to keep it on the road because they were... They were quite tight, uh, <laughs> and where they were, we're kicking them out. So we were we were loyal to step in and help them make sure they had a station for Christmas. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great state and it's a great charity as well. It's a great cause. It so is, yeah, it is. It's great that you can you can you can afford in that facility, um, which is great. So Paul, again, thanks a million. Best of luck, and I obviously I hope your business continues to grow. Ask Paul and Pax, and people continue to go to you, and people actually will follow you online. You learn a lot, I suppose, from going online and looking at your Instagrams, Q and A's, and everything else that you have to offer. There's, there's so much going on there, which is, which is no, great. Thanks. It's there for people, and it's more accessible. It is, yeah, yeah. No, it is. They can use it anytime they want, and the Q and A's are always on. There's a massive back catalogue of information there as well. Um, well, Gary, listen, thanks very much for having me. I, I really enjoyed that chat. You're very good for having me on. Um, I much appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks for that. Cheers. Cheers.